If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome back to the Absolute Modern MMCast Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. Cheers, guys. Good to be back. It's nice to be here with you. We've got a good episode tonight of a lot of fun things to talk about. And uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling the vibe, Alex. I'm feeling this is a good episode. I, I think got, we have uh, we have good things to say here. You got good vibes. It's a subject matter we've talked a lot about. Uh, we're, we're talking about the future of pro magic, the announcement that happened uh, at the end of last week uh, about the kind of the MPL being this is it being last season and there's no plans to kind of reopen a pro level magic support system and what that means or what that could mean and everything else. And we'll get into that into a second. Um, but that's what we're talking about today. I'm pretty hyped. Well, I'm not hyped. I mean, it's 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 interesting news. I'm middlingly uh, uh, enthusiastic for the future. Uh, also, we're recording this a week earlier, so we record these Tuesday nights, but a week from now, <laughs> uh, it is Modern Horizons uh, preview season start date. We have not seen any of the cards other than Counterspell and the Enchantment Land Saga, Urza Saga, and uh, the Diamond Line, but uh, we will tonight during our normal time where we normally would record our uh, um, Magic or a, a Commander game, 7.30 p.m. We do like a late night commander show. Uh, we are going to try, depending on time zones and stuff that are going to work out, to record a like um, a live show of us, a live version of the podcast, the second episode for this week, going over the spoilers um, that are revealed that day and all the information we get from Modern Horizons, which there's going to be a ton. So make sure to tune out tonight, 7.30 p.m. PST. Uh, we will be uh, on twitch.tv slash Wiley for sure. And um, we're going to, and I, hopefully the YouTube channel as well, there's like some update that I need to do to make sure that it works, but it should. Uh, we'll be talking um, Modern Horizons 2, and we're pretty hyped. Yeah, I mean, we there's a lot of cool things with Modern Horizons 2. Number one, we are getting not one, but two preview cards. We get <laughs> two <laughs> different preview cards, which is crazy, really wild, really exciting for us to be able to uh, regain regain the not only the spoiler fray, but like the double spoiler fray. It's, uh, you know, it's it's our wheelhouse. And and I'm very excited for this set. I mean, only the things that have been spoiled anyway, but or sorry, I should say even just with the things that have been spoiled are so exciting. Like yeah. the the uh, the enemy fetches in extended art and old border art is mm -hmm. they're so dope. Mm -hmm. I was trying to decide because I looked at the old border art and I was like, OK, Scalding Tarn actually doesn't jump out to me here as the coolest one mm -hmm. which is surprising because normally i would think it obviously just would but looking at them all more i actually felt like misty rainforest in the old art was the one that i wanted the most like i just it like just kind of appealed to me i could just old feel blue it green vibes have a are sweet i, I will i will yeah. i will agree to that the blue green for whatever reason in old border always looks really really dope yeah so we get two preview cards, which is incredibly cool. Um, there's a couple other cool things on the channel uh, and as, as a podcast that we wanted to update you guys on. The news for the MMCast podcast. Uh, so uh, we, we've kind of changed up a little bit and we're mixing up how we're releasing content. And we wanted to kind of talk through that with everyone. So 
for the last six months, especially because modern wasn't happening and uh, because paper magic wasn't really happening. Uh, we started doing co- uh, commander content. We did a lot of historic content. We did standard content. We did some limited content. Um, and that's going to continue to some extent, right? We're going to still talk about all the formats that we're playing that we love. Um, but we want to kind of do a little bit more of a refocus onto modern. But uh, we're also going to change how the channel is releasing content. So up to this point, we've been releasing the live stream. We've been co-live streaming the Commander Night show that we do every Monday night um, on Twitch and YouTube. We're now just going to do it exclusively to Twitch. And those videos are going to still be released, but they're going to be released on the old cast games YouTube channel. That's if you guys remember where we used to release the MM cast. It's where top decking currently lives on YouTube um, and has 10,000 followers. And it's a great thing. And if you like watching those commander games, that's where they're going to live. We'll do a separate video that kind of announces this on the channel as well. Um, And just because we realized that just the way the YouTube algorithm has been happening, it likes focusing on that one video for a week. And so we're going to kind of consolidate back to this being the one release every week of the MM cast yeah it's uh look it makes the most sense obviously every week we talk about something a little bit different this week it's going to be the future of pro and organized play uh last week it was you know the focus of of uh, modern horizons two predictions sometimes it'll be something that's a little bit more general but often it's going to be in the modern or 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 sort of closely related to modern sphere i would say a little back and, to basics. uh so what a little bit back to basics hopefully marshall just throws that card up right yeah 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 the card back to basics sweet card um and uh and that's kind of the plan going forward here so if you guys you know listen to what we're doing here tonight and and this is an episode that is pretty topical uh and you like what we're talking about here leave a comment make sure you let us know that this is something you you thought was sweet you know hit the thumbs up button if you're hearing this for the first time um hit that subscribe we've been doing this podcast together alex and i for almost seven years now um in fact I think it is in just about seven years, which is crazy to think about. So uh, if you're finding us on YouTube for the first time, a subscription or a comment would be greatly appreciated. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think we're, we're looking forward to the future of the channel, especially as we get out of the pandemic and back into widely accepted digital or uh, digital transitioning back into paper magic. So uh, it's kind of what this episode is about, right? We're, we're about to talk about Wizards is making change to pro play as a part of a reevaluation on how paper magic is going to be played in the future and how their experience doing arena as the main focus for the last year and a half has been, but um, jumping ahead a little bit, cause there's still some shout outs. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, we try to write like, one of these every single week, but there was like a few things we for sure wanted to update. Um, and, and so, yeah, I know one thing I wanted to talk about Cass is you've been doing like a ton of TikTok magic content. That's like a thing I've seen you doing and I watch them and I think you're doing a great job and we haven't really talked about it on here very much. Yeah, so I realize uh, more is less or more is better <laughs> or quality, quantity over quantity. I don't know. There's not a good metaphor for here, but basically I realized for TikTok, just making as much content as possible is easier. And then inspired by guys like Hank Green, uh, where they are not doing TikTok dances, which I'm not going to be able to ever do. And I'm not the best lip syncer. So doing the <laughs> audios isn't really going to be my vibe. Um, but he just, you know, talks to the camera, answers questions, is a communicator to the people following him. And so I realized I could do that. Uh, I like talking at stuff. Hence a seven year long podcast. <laughs> so uh, definitely check it out. I, I've been doing some of the stuff we do there because does make it onto the episode. Our big iconic card per color episode we did last week was inspired by a, a big series I did and still doing now. I'm in two color pairs um, on TikTok. I'm doing 
Uh, I'm going through every single card on the modern ban list. Uh, I currently did Hogak this morning. I'm at 20 so far down my down down the list. And then once I'm done with that, I'll probably make my way to other ban lists. Um, and ask any, and we'll probably if you give me a cool question or they have a Q&A open on my uh, on the TikTok feed, I'll answer questions there too. Um, it's a fun. It's really cool. It's been a fun. Uh, it's been fun kind of growing that community as well as all the other stuff that we're growing great you're i can see you're getting a lot of interaction the profile is growing which is really really cool and i think it kind of uh i think it definitely speaks to the idea that if you speak on something you're an expert of and you put a lot of time and energy into creating content about that thing it's not all going to catch but because you're an expert some of it absolutely will that's just the way it works and you care about it though though i I do have bad news in regards to my tiktok uh following today the most watched (laughs) video i had was me just defending the hotel transylvania franchise so i'm now just going to be a hotel transylvania uh stan account Along other changes that are happening, uh, we are also opening up our Discord to the public. So uh, <laughs> uh, Discord, um, there was a while where it was public open. It was We made it a long time ago. Me and Ben weren't using Discord at the time. So it just kind of we created it as like a, we should do this to be good content creators. So no one was really using it. We then made it exclusive to our Patreon backers, which we appreciate. All of you guys are really, really, really fantastic. We appreciate all the money you're able to make this podcast happen. Um, but even with that small community, it wasn't seeing a lot of use and they kind of have Patreon to really interact with us. So we realized that, and, and with the help of some new uh, moderators, plus Logan, who helps everyone make the internet work in the magic community, um, we're able to kind of reconfigure the, the, the discord. And now we're making it open to the public. So there'll be a link. It was linked in last week's episode. There'll be a link in this week's episode. Um, and in the, in the channel description, please check out the discord. We're having communications through all of preview season. We're going to be talking about every preview card we can there. There's there's a whole kind of community talking about stuff and we're, we're, we're really excited. Um, and Ben will learn how to use discord. We're filming this on discord. Now, look, I can move the mouse and like little discord things will pop up. You can see them. He's learning slowly. He's like a old I'm, man. I'm better at it. I am better at it. My, my issue with discord is that most of the things I've tried to use discord for have been problematic with the processor speed of my old laptop. And so I hate the app. I hate the program because it like, is taxing on my computer. Like when I've tried to stream on arena and also like, it's just doesn't work as well as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I have a new computer getting here in the next two weeks that should have no problems doing all the things. And I'm sure I will probably adopt discord much more frequently. So, which does bring us to the next, have. the next big uh, thing is that as soon as you have a new laptop, you're going to try streaming again. You're going to make more arena content, more magic content. I am. I was actually thinking about, you know, trying to find uh, not that I have an abundance of free time, but trying to find a space to maybe brew something and just record screen cap like some really fun arena decks that I could post on the YouTube channel every week. Um, I, there are so many cool cards being introduced to arena all the time. And I love that. I mean, I, I definitely enjoy arena. I think it's a great I think it's a phenomenal application. I think they did a good job with it. So uh, it would be a fun thing to do. I was doing it for a while there. I mean, for a few months, I was doing it at least once or twice a week. And I even managed to get to Mythic in, uh, with, with my Rogues deck, which was really, really fun. Um, but it'd be more fun, I think, to just focus on brewing than grinding. And I think doing that once a week at least, if not a couple times a week, would be great. So look out for that. And the last thing before we get into the... the, the and this is more fun, and though another one that the power of editing will hopefully throw them all over the screen on the Twitch channel along our, or my Twitch channel at Kess Wiley. Uh, we now have a bunch of emotes. Uh, thank you. Inkling customs. She's uh, super talented. She did some of the, the, uh, 
the she did the altar sleeves I played with for the mythic frames thing, but she's she made us emotes. We have them. There's a bunch of them. There's me wearing my shirt doing a dab. There's Ben being really angry, wearing sunglasses. There's there's a baby Yoda hugging a Mandalorian. So we'll we'll have those on our Twitch channel available for all subscribers. Um so check that out. And it'll also be available in the Discord. That is all of the announcements. We've we've done our State of the Union. We're going into June. Modern Horizons 2. It's been it's an end of an era. We went since Modern Horizons 1, we've had War of the Spark. We've had Modern Horizons 1. We've had Hogak Summer. We've had Eldraine. We had Uro. We had um Ikoria, COVID, and more. Now we're past it. We're now we're now we're now into the future. We got two preview cards next changed. week. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Magic has changed a lot the last three-ish years, I'd say. Um, it's been a pretty tumultuous, pretty chaotic few years. And the major topic we're going to be talking about today on the show uh, that I think we're going to focus on is the plans that were set in motion a few years ago for from Wizards of the Coast as they decided to develop Magic. And, and they had this whole idea for organized play that they really, they kind of went hard on it. But it was about you know, a little less than three years ago now, or maybe a little more, but was, in that was, range. It was with the launch of Eldraine. Or was yeah. it the launch of Ravnica? Oh, okay, that wasn't... Beta launched with Ravnica, and then I think with Eldraine, they went into not beta where they started doing... We're going to get corrected on this. This one I can't promise I did research on, but that's what I vaguely remember. Okay, so, so maybe it was, it could have been two years ago. But yeah. whatever it was, it was a couple years ago at least that this is kind of the direction that we started going. I wouldn't just say that the, the pro play and the organized play announcement was the start of it, because I think you can see the power level of sets shifting and the focus on some of the major content expansion being another sort of major piece of the when the face of magic started to really, really, really change. And now we're living in a world where all of those new ideas and magic's huge player expansion has kind of put us here where we are, which is the point of today's episode. There were some pretty big failures and some huge successes and i think it really speaks to what we expect out of magic as they said the most important part being the gathering for 2021 2022 and beyond um and this, my big takeaway from it well, i want to really quickly i want to read the kind of not read the announcements but i want to kind of because this all started this whole episode started from on Friday last week, Wizards kind of released two different articles. One of them was an announce for Legend Summer. Uh, I forget the exact wording, but basically it's it's um, this summer we have the all of this D&D content coming around Magic. We have a bunch of Magic content coming around D&D. We have a bunch of Commander content coming out. And it's the big return to Paper Magic. And so they officially announced, as, of, as we've already done in Asia Pacific, Japan, and Africa, we being Wizards of the Coast, uh, we are reopening sanctioned Magic play for the United States on May 28th. So the Friday of this episode being released... FNM is back or uh, stores are allowed to do FNM. Now, depending on which city you live in or which state you live in, different stores will interact with this differently. Some states have already been doing FNM like events without kind of the premier player being associated with wizards, but that's the big announcement from that day. And then in another article, which is called esports transitions and getting back to the gathering, they kind of listed their general plans for esports, which are in-person plays and unique strength. The magic, these are bullet points. They listed out digital play is here to stay. The 21, to 2022, the 2021 to 2022 season's primary goals are to sunset the current system, which sunset meaning end. Um, league weekends and gauntlets will not be run in 2021 and 2022, and this will be the final season for the Magic Pro and Rivals leagues. So, in the same breath of saying stores are opening up, we're refocusing how we look at the future, and as far as paper play goes, they also announced the end of the MPL and Rivals. And for those who don't know, 
and this is what Ben was kind of getting at, about uh, two years ago, they announced, about three years ago, there was a big movement called Pay the Pros because basically they were putting pros in a position where there's a lot of taxing costs to be able to be a pro player and they had reconfigured the, the incentives to make it so there wasn't a lot of financial feasibility to becoming a pro. At the same time, the Hall of Fame was becoming very bloated and before, if you were a member of the Hall of Fame, you were guaranteed a pro tour invite and guaranteed a appearance fees for X amount of GPs plus every pro tour you would get paid. So there's just like a weird system that would always just get worse and worse, making it eventually the pro tours were too big because there were too many players just guaranteed with hall of fame access. So they decided to change it and they made the MPL, which ended up being, um, I think it was 70 players or no 70. It was X amount of players each making $70,000 a year that were locked in and then tournaments played throughout the year will guarantee enough of them a spot for the next year. And then X amount of them would then have to face in a tournament against the rivals group, which then the winners of that will move into the thing. And then people will drop out and was kind of a brutal thing that happened four weeks ago where we watched really, really popular MPL players like on stream required to play on stream by contract, lose their jobs. Uh, that was like kind of the big, I think, onset that started this. You had um, Autumn and then Ali Warfield uh, or, or Amiibo both like lost their jobs on camera and in kind of a brutal way. And then like kind of explained how they weren't really getting support, uh, especially Ali kind of talked about how like there wasn't a lot of connections within this, partially because of COVID, right? There wasn't, they weren't given the framework that maybe was meant to be to be able to foster a pro player that was added into that league. And at the same time, literally every single woman that was on the MPL was gone. It became an, it, like all of them were removed for different reasons. The other one was just Estefan who had to be removed because of a, um, she moved here from Australia. And with that, her, like the green card situation, the ladder to, to, to compete was no longer included. And then the third uh-huh. was, uh, got hired by wizards. So the like three women that were on the MPL, all were no longer on it. And then they were put in a situation where, people had really bad press about how people were removed publicly. It was a very brutal experience and it kind of speaks to the problem of trying to make pro players and streamers the same thing. And that's a whole conversation we're going to get into, but it, it, it kind of put the MPL in a bad light. And then they announced four weeks later, we're closing the MPL. We realized that paper magic is a thing and we want to move towards that. That is the data dump. To evaluate this from the perspective of somebody who's been a fan of magic for a long time, who maybe is maybe maybe you're less familiar with sort of the concept of being a professional who is paid to do something that isn't required, right? Like you're not if you're an accountant or you're somebody who's run like runs logistics for a company or you do manual labor, this is like you're providing a service for a company that needs you. So they give you a certain rate based on what they can get for that thing. They need someone to do it. You're not doing it because you're the the best performer at your job, but you potentially are at least good enough to get done the thing in time that they need, right? Playing magic or or doing anything like that that is really ultimately something that's kind of fun, more of like a hobby, it's up to the people who want to make it a job for you. So if, if Wizards is going to make this a job and they're going to say, Here's, there's this much money we're going to provide for you to do this, you don't need to create something on your own. We're going to create the thing for you they're basically saying that being good at magic is good enough for you to warrant their support, which is a great thing. <laughs> and honestly, if they had lots of money to give to tons of people it would be awesome because we we talking about the show, talking about magic on this show and other shows, we promote their product. Right. But at the end of the day, it's a corporation trying to turn a profit. So spending money on something has to 
turn into something else because you're good at magic can't be the reason they want to pay you to play magic they have to get something out of it which in the old days of the pro tour was marketing that's the way that it was right the pro tour was their marketing budget so so i guess vaguely devil's advocate uh the 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 reason the pro tour exists and 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 part of the problems with the mpl to be honest because i think the mpl was a failed system is that i don't think it did what i'm about to describe i think it was a abject failure at providing a path to grinding magic (laughs) or a reason to grind magic but the old system um where if you win x amount of gps or you place well enough of amount of gps you get x amount of pro points that eventually get to benefits that eventually get to make it easier to get more pro points to eventually lead to you being able to go to pro tours regularly and make a, a some amount of money or, you know, go at least infinite on being able to qualify for these events. Um, that motivation has a lot of people spending a lot of money to be good at magic, right? Like that's, that's the value of the pro tour. That's the value of these tournaments from a corporate perspective is hi, if you, Seven million people that play there are tournament grinders. That's a made up number. I don't know what that number is, but X amount of people that play millions of people that play professional tournament magic. The reason you're doing it is to eventually hit the gravy train of the pro tour, whatever that means. It used to mean hall of famer, unlimited access to the pro tour, even if it just meant continued access to pro tours, right? Like there's a version of it where like from your, from, from getting to your point on like content creation, and that's the real make way that most pros have made money. And there's a really cool co- like uh, uh, Twitter thread Brian, Brian Kibler that we'll talk about that kind of goes through this. Like multiple runs on a pro tour and getting a name for yourself there gives you contracts to write content, to post articles, to 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 make video series, to do coverage, to get work at Wizards. Like there is a path to careers in the Magic community from being successful at tournament Magic, which I don't think has gone away. I do think that there will be a pro tour. There will be cheapies. What's gone is Wizards saying, once you reach a specific position, we're going to start funding your your life just to be a pro Magic player. They're going to still give you is, the platform. They're going to still give you the motivation to grind Magic, but they're no longer going to say, here's $70,000 a year just to be the best Magic player. So I think where you and I are saying the same thing is that if we compare this to like a professional sports league, if you play an NFL, if you pay an NFL player a certain amount of money to play a position, it's because number one, you think it will give your team the best chance to win. And by winning, you'll sell more tickets to fans who will buy those tickets and actually fund your organization. Right. But the whole idea of getting the best talent and paying them that money is because the idea of you having the best talent, they're a draw. People want to see them play at a high level. And on top of that, if those players are great and you win, you will get more of those season ticket holders. You'll get more people showing up to games. It's just a financial pursuit. That's the whole entire idea behind paying top level performers in a sport. So if we're going to compare esports to classic American, you know, physical sport, then you would have to say by paying these MPL players, we have a league that's drawing the kind of viewership that makes our money worth it. That's why we're paying mm-hmm. these people and not other people. Which but that did, wasn't did. happening, right? Right, right? People didn't watch the content. They didn't care. There was this was entirely and this is why we say the thing you were talking about of people grinding those people who got those positions on the gravy train and those people who continued to show up in top eights and make their it was based on performance. They literally kept winning. Mm-hmm. They kept paying to get themselves to places. They kept placing over years and years and years. The gravy train is a little different because it's cumulative. But in general, the people that benefited the most were the ones who just actually performed. 
they were just rewarded for their performance, not for their commitment to magic, but likely for their actual performance. It's a weirdly broken system because, as I know, and, and the last comparison I'll give is in, in the movie Trivia Schmodown, which I do a lot of work in and I compete and I travel for. Look, I don't get paid an arm and a leg to compete in Schmodown, right? But a lot of the things that I do that are kind of related to Schmodown bring benefits, right? Like the various you know, study sessions and sponsorships and things like that. It's not the Schmodown itself giving me those benefits. It's the things that that audience has brought me. And I recognize that by performing at a high level, it gets me that attention. But if I lose every single match by one question, I never, ever, ever win. I'll still have the interest in that community that I've built myself, which is that I have invested in those people, which is why I actually get those benefits. But if I was just to say, I will live and die by getting the last question right, I will only benefit from this if I win 90% of the time, 70% of the time, I would quit. Because why would I do that? It's well, it but can't be worth it, right? I mean, that's that's not like the way the old tournament grinder system worked is well, that's what kind of the beauty of the pro point system was, right? Like if you got a pro point, you just and you just like made your second draft on day two of a GP. So like there was a way to do it. And especially if you live on the East Coast where a lot of GPs are are were, are drivable, right? Back in the day before COVID, you were able to drive to all of them. It's not that hard. It's not that expensive to do that. There is obviously expense, right? That's there. You're, 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 that has always been a challenge with these is that being able to be a good Grand Prix means you have to have a disposable income to be able to spend $70 a weekend driving to a hotel room, spending another $100 to spend in the hotel, not to mention gas or air freight, whatever. But um, the, the value with the sports team angle is slightly different because you're not like designating people to compete. It's like closer to tennis where like, yeah, I don't even know how like what a real good comparison there is, but I, I think that the value, the failure of the MPL was it 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 locked off this gravy train, right? There was no real knowledge. Like I don't know, I have no idea how you get on the MPL. I'm I'm not I am paid. Our patrons pay us money. Wizards gives us preview cards to know how to get on the MPL, and I have no idea. I think my underst I, I know that you have to get onto rivals, and then I know how rivals gets onto the MPL. That part I know. I don't know how to get on the rivals. I'm assuming you like X amount of the top mythic performers on limited and or standard and or historic on or constructed on arena get there. And then X amount of people that win GPs. I have no idea how the path to becoming a professional magic player works in the current system. I don't think anyone knows. <laughs> I've asked people in professional magic. Hey, how do you do this? And they're like, I don't know. Like I'm on well, the NPL, again, I have no idea how I got here. <laughs> I think um, to add to your point and also to compare it once again, you know, so so I agree with you. I was gonna bring this up later in the show, right? But I spent I don't know how many years of my life prior to the podcast and during the podcast knowing very clearly the steps that you needed to take to get onto a pro tour. This was something you and I talked about endlessly, not yeah. because we wanted to do it, not because either one of us really thought we were gonna go pro, but because like it's it a pretty cool. simple system. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that hard to figure out. If you win a PTQ, you get there. If you at a certain point, it was, a, it was a top finish at a GP, but like you just kind of knew, right? Like there was these basic thresholds were, you had were, to hit going were, to GPs was. Yeah, there's five paths four, to the right? pro tour. There's fives. There was you were on the Hall of Fame. There was you earned yep. enough pro points to be considered a depending on the era, gold or platinum or silver, depending on how they were divvying out what was going to each of those positions. But enough pro points where you're getting a spot, um, you top eight 
or top four, depending on the size of the event, a GP, you win a PTQ or they invite you. <laughs> right? Like those are the five. And that was easy. I understand how all of those worked. The last one I don't, but that's generally like, that's been true with the MPL. There's invitational ones and that's up to wizard's discretion. And some of it's just people that did really well. Some of them are people just like stunts, you know, day nine has competed on a pro tour. If Jimmy Wong wanted to compete on a pro tour, I bet he probably could get his way onto a pro tour event. But the, for the majority of people, it's those four options. And they're all really simple. You go to a PTQ and like basically since they got rid of ELO, I've intimately known with zero intent of ever actually succeeding how to get onto a pro tour until the MPL was founded. Right. Right. Exactly. And so I think I think the point there is that like we lived in this world for the longest time where we had a clear understanding of pro magic. Right. And we got it. Like if I wanted to go to every local or semi local like West Coast GP, like you and I would go often as content creators to play, to meet people. But I really like to play the main event. Right. I like to do that. It was fun for me. The whole experience of being at a GP was really fun. I liked that I could go to a GP and I could play a pro level event. And if I did well, it would benefit me and I could get closer to this dream. As Brian Kibler's thread you talked about even mentions watching pros is fun. Having the idea that you could play against one of them is more fun. That's what drives you to go. It's why you want to pay the entry fee into the main event at a GP, because who knows? You could run hot that day. And I, I can recall the one you mentioned a second ago. Back in 2015, Modern Masters 2, I had a great time at that event. I played really well on day one. I ended up at a draft table with Paulo and Paul Rietzel. And like I played against Paul. It was a great time. I was like, this is so cool for me to yeah. get to not. I've known these guys. I've known them on the circuit, but to actually get to talk to them and to like have their respect of like you earned it. You got here. Right. That was a really fun experience that something like the MPL does not grant because I'm never going to be on the MPL. I don't have it in right. my life to be able to commit that kind of time. There's no way. And it wasn't worth it. $70,000 a year is a lot for a lot of people. Don't get me wrong. But it's also like the grind you have to go through to become one of the best magic players to then be put into the contract that they were. There's a reason that people declined, right? Like there's a reason that not every person who was offered to be a part of the MPL took that opportunity. And then when that was created, a lot of pros started other businesses. Brian Kibler became a Hearthstone uh, uh, person. LSV started Channel Fireball and even created his own game. Like Z Mautzowitz, who won as the other people, created a new game with Brian David Marshall. So there's a lot of like, what did the MPL really do? It, it decent de-incentivized everyone. And at the same time, they got rid of, like I would say the two reasons I would ever want to be in a GP is to get into the Pro Tour, which no longer really existed, or to get on camera uh, uh, as a feature match, right? That was like the main reason I was competing in GPs for the longest time was that I was just trying to get onto a feature match because that puts my name out there. helps, you know, the podcast grow, helps top decking grow, helps whatever I'm doing. And I get to like brew a cool deck and get my deck decks name out there. And that's my way to like magic fame. They got rid of GP coverage. They got rid of GP coverage and they got rid of uh, uh, the like path to the Pro Tour existing. And then COVID happened. But I, I, this was happening before then. Um, we did a whole episode when the last big change happened with Michael and me. And Michael had a really good theory on what he thought was going to happen. And, and we brought it up before. And basically it was that Wizards was hoping. And this is what I think is still happening. Wizards is... SCG is doing really well, right? SCG events just kill it. That's the one thing that like is kind of the big elephant in the room is Wizards is being so bad at creating a pro platform and paying these players or creating a tournament structure that works for them. And Star City Games is over there totally 
dunking on a the production quality of what Wizards was doing and b creating a tournament series that they have regular tournament grinders going every weekend doing a really good job and creating a really good series and Wizards gave them pro tour invites that was like the last announcement before COVID happened was hey like one of the last episodes I recorded in our office <laughs> was Wizards giving the SEG tournament circuit pro tour invites and what Michael kind of theorized then was that Wizards' plan is to pull away from tournament magic. They'll run the Pro Tours. There will be four of them and a world championship and maybe an invitational or one or two other events. And Channel Fireball and SEG, Channel Fireball can run the GP circuit. It could be the Channel Fireball GP circuit, or if they need the Wizards' name, it could be attached to it, but they're running it and they're creating the tournament structure. And SEG can create their events. And maybe we give uh, Cascade Games or whomever is in, uh, I forget who's in the Midwest, their own tournament circuit uh, Pro Tour invites, and they run the tournaments. And we just run the Pro Tours. We have four big events that we put, you know, million dollars worth of prizes a year. If you win, if you get into the Pro Tour, you get a chance to do it. And we no longer have to pay for or cover those expenses. And SEG and Channel Fireball can make a living doing it because they can charge entry free to, to, to Magic Fest. They can they make a ton of money selling packs and product. They do infinite drafts. Everyone pays ninety dollars to get into the event anyways, to be able to play the event. SEG is the same deal. Um, and that was kind of like Michael's vision of the future. Is pastime is is pastimes the Midwest one. Is that who does it? Maybe. That's the one who does it at. Uh... At Gen Con, yeah, NBA, yeah, it's pastimes. It's pastimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so like that's that's a version of what this could look like, and that's that's kind of Z Moshwitz also wrote one, and there, like parts of his article are a little interesting, talking about how magic players can save the world, but um, he does make a point that like Wizards needs to either say we are no longer doing pro play at all but other people should do it and we're going to give the, the the ability for them to do it or commit to some amount of it because right now they're kind of this gray area doesn't allow for anyone to really commit to what they want to do and that's a system that needs to be created is to allow I don't think Wizards should be in charge of all of tournament play I think they should be in charge of pro tours the classic pro tours and world championship and then everything else grand prix whatever should be a uh, uh, separately run thing I think Magic having magic fests maybe be a wizard's thing. And then GPs are ran by channel fireball within those magic fests. Sounds like a great idea. And I think that's what we're getting to. I think that was their big commitment. And kind of to your point on your pro play thing, I think that's the other thing that has happened in the last four years. there's 25 years 20 years of magic history where pro players were the only celebrities in magic other than mark rosewater right they're like of anyone who plays magic if they knew a creator around magic they were lsv they were patrick chapin they were paulo they were brian kibler maybe it escalated to Mark Rosewater, matt tayback doug bayard gavin verhey like people that worked at wizards or pro players, but that was it. Then Command Zone happened. Then The Professor happened. Then Wedge happened. Then, like, YouTube happened, really. And there's now a ton of Magic YouTubers that have significantly larger followers than any pro player. Not maybe any pro player. Brian Kibler does really well for himself. <laughs> um, but he doesn't even play pro Magic anymore. He's now he's now a, a you know, a coverage person. And, and then... 
um, cosplay happened. Then, you know, we had Christine Sprinkle as Avison, and, and we had Tappy and Olivia and um, Ashlyn, like, going to events, making them more convention-like. You then had just, like, streamers. You had, you know, Numat. You had Agent Avenger. You had all of these these guys and girls playing content on Talia Vest on Twitch, making it popular there. None of them are pro players. None of them are assented by pro play. That you're making that stands out to me is that when we started this podcast uh, in 2014, what you were talking about was the case. It was just starting, like yeah. be just exactly beginning. And at we're the time, six weeks younger than the we, command we, we, zone, right? Yeah. So what? We're six weeks younger than command zone. Yeah, we had we had close relationships. I mean, we we got to know some a lot of those players you were talking about. Like we we got to know Chapin and LSB, and we got to know Paulo and and Ritzel and, and Melissa de Tora, and like we we spent time with them in the first few years, and. It was awesome, right? It, they were they were super cool to to get to know those people and see kind of what it was like to be in the pro circuit. You look back now, and it's basically like the top ten percent of magic, you know, pros or celebrities. I would say still have real cred. Everybody underneath that top ten percent, if you're a pro player, we are as a podcast as famous as the top ninety percent of pro players. If you aren't in the top ten percent, where everybody knows your name. We're just podcasters, but we, if we go to an event, we'll probably talk to as many people and be recognized by as many people as the people outside that top 10. That's just the reality, sure. right? Like the, the being a pro magic player. I mean, look, since the MPL, I, this is going to be awful to say, because I, I really always want to support what Wizards does. I have paid. 1% or less attention to the actual exploits of the MPL since launch. Not because I didn't think it was cool. Not because I didn't I think that it was awesome that it existed. It just had zero effect on me. I didn't. It didn't seem exciting. I didn't connect to it. It didn't feel like the thing that I think they wanted it to be. It just. It actually just felt kind of isolated, like this little thing happening that was not supposed to be on my radar because right. I wasn't in it. Right. Well, and also yeah. like most of the tournaments were, and most yeah, and no one could be like you weren't in it, but no one you knew was in it, and not even just like no one you knew because you we literally know some of these guys and girls, but. And friends, uh, but the like you had, there was no chance for someone like you to have been in that event. Correct. I would have had to, I would have to be spending eight hours a day, seven days a right. week being on the radar of those people. And I think I'm a good enough magic player that if I did something like that and I really made it known that that's what I wanted, probably I could probably get in that world. Like I would have to spend some real time, but that's a more than full-time job. That's your, that's what you do. Well, that's your job when you meet someone. And, and kind of my point, like you need, you, there's a reason that movies and TV shows have Ted Mosby as the main character, right? The, the, like, or the Ross or like, there is always a character that is generic and boring. <laughs> and the point of that character is for you to pretend you're them. <laughs> that's why sure. they exist. Yeah, right. right. Like the, the, the reason that most sitcoms or TV shows or movies have a normal character surrounded by wacky people or characters is because you're supposed to be, you're, they're supposed to be the person you represent yourself in within the story. And, and an MPL event that doesn't exist. Not only does that exist, they're playing arena, which like is a great for streaming and great to be like a tournament esport that people can grind. But like, and is a good visual experience, but is almost worse on a pro level play. Like when I see pros playing arena, I am bored 
versus when I watch them play Paper Magic. And I don't know what that is. I like I can't quantify why me watching LSV versus Brian Kibler play Magic at a table is going to be way more entertaining, even though I can't even read the cards, than watching pro players stream. And, and that's part of it, maybe. It's just like a pro player streaming is like they're in their chair. They're like clicking. They're not really talking through stuff. It's not like you don't have the crowd around them. It's just less interesting. I don't, and I can't really quantify what it is. And and that's gone now, I guess is part of the point. And, and my point about even more is if you were to go to the average magic player now, especially, especially after the last like three weeks where like famous like musicians and songwriters are now magic players. Um, and you ask, who do you want to go? If you're going to a magic fest, who would you want to see? They're not going to say Paul Rietzel. Like as much as I want to, see, like they're not, they're not going to, like they, maybe they say LSV. They're going to be like, oh, I want to see Jimmy. I want to see the professor. I want to see. Well, I want to see Post Malone. Yeah, I want to see the professor. I want to see Tappy. I want to see um, Shivam Bot. I want to see uh, Mark Rosewater. Maybe you know, like the, the like there is there is names are no longer contingent on people doing well in tournament magic. And that's kind of why Wizards is making this decision, right? And that's what that's what every pro is freaking out about. Every pro on the planet is like, whoa, 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 whoa. We've just designated our lives to doing the best we can, and you're taking that away because we're no longer the biggest marketing face of this game. And what does that look like? What does that mean? Now, that means that part of the gravy train of succeeding at tournament magic is no longer going to be about wizards paying you to do that there is incentives they're putting a lot more money into tournament winnings that 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 seems to be something they're committed to there's going to be like even even during that pro tour moment there's a like the reason lsv like some of these players obviously the best of all time but there's a reason that like more players could probably tell you what lsv looks like or um what patrick chapin looks like versus like a Brad Nelson or a, a Kai Bode. Oh, Kai Bode is a great example. I don't know what Kai Bode looks like. <laughs> I know what he looks like in like 1997 because I've seen the videos of him playing, but I have no idea what Kai Bode looks like as an adult. And like, and that's because to make a living as a magic pro, you needed to become a content creator and you needed to write for SCG. You needed to write for channel fireball or TCG player. You needed to be, uh, uh, you know, making content, posting deck lists regularly. And that's how you grew to know these people. It happens that a lot of them become the best players. And that's why, cause you know, the reason that they're making a living on channel fireball SCG is cause they're paying them a lot of money to do so. But there's, there's, there is a level of like, you need to, make there's always been that the only way to make a good living off of being a magic content pro is by being a content producer and that zv made that point in his article as well that like the one big success of the mpl was kind of a like twitch streaming college for pro magic players right like the one useful tool it did was like hey top 30 magic players in the world right now this is how you become a twitch streamer we are going to force you to learn how to do it and you are going to make it get good at it to the point where you can maybe start making a living doing it and that's a service that wizards probably should continue to give (laughs) well so so i think what you're saying actually there really really sparks the initial part of our conversation that i was bringing up which is that if you are just wizards of the coast and your goal is just to have a pro league Unless that pro league is getting tons and tons and tons of viewership, spending the money they were spending doesn't make any sense because you're you, at that point, all you're doing is burning your money. Like you just you're all you're doing is providing 
a play like 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 playground for the best players to make your money, right? If it's not getting viewership, if it isn't actually generating interest, then you aren't spending your money in the most effective way, which I completely understand that they would look at that and go, this isn't getting new users, mm-hmm. new players and viewership then we're spending too much money on this. We should spend it somewhere else, right? Like, so it, that I understand. It, like, Except that they, the one thing that they need to maintain, and that's the thing that I think people are worried about and the greater community is worried about, is they need to maintain incentivization to play in tournaments. Right? So, totally. So yeah. what I was going to say, though, is that that's sort of a separate issue. The idea that if you're good at something, and let's just use math, right? Let's use like just actually writing down math as something you could be good at. If you are the most boring person in the world who is the smartest person in the world and you're able to write down math really efficiently and correctly and someone wants to film you doing it, it might be successful, but it probably won't be. If you do that and you have some amount of talking to the camera, you find a way to be charming and fun and funny or engaging, it's more likely that it will be successful. That's not based on the thing you're doing. It's based on the way you perform it, right? makes you a performer. The whole entire idea, and again, I'll relate this back to Schmodown, is, yeah, we're just answering movie trivia questions, right? There's a lot. You've even said it at events before. It's a lot of boring people who answer movie trivia questions. The ones who come in and understand that they're performing and putting on a show, and they take it upon themselves to actually perform something, Mm -hmm. I want you as an audience member to watch me do this, but not necessarily remember the answer I got, but the way that I got it, or the way that I interacted with my opponent just before or just after I got it. That's what I want you to remember. It's the same lesson that every single Magic Pro that wants to be a performer needs to take, which is just being good at something. If there are a lot of people that are good at it, if you're just one in a sea of people who are incredibly good at it, isn't enough if the demand's not high enough. If the demand is there, you need to find a way to elevate beyond just being good at it. You have to do it in a way that's entertaining. Otherwise, I mean, if, if you're lucky and there's billions of people that want you to do it you don't have to but if there aren't that many people you need to find a way to elevate yourself above the rest that's just it's what's required it's on you to do it and 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 to some extent this is true of most pro sports anything in the world if there's a glut of people that are good at something you have to find a way to elevate and entertainment's usually the way to do it michael jordan kobe uh andre agassi these are like people that were personalities beyond just being the best at the game, right? That was part of it. And part of being the best at anything comes with a personality. It's very difficult to be the best at, especially a sport and not have an arrogant or like an, like a a character behind it. But yeah, I think, I think you're right. And, And this is kind of my point. Being a pro player was never about being a pro player was never a sustainable business model per human. But being a pro magic player that that was able to take that and capitalize on it was. And and Zvi talks about that, too, in the article. That's the other point he made is like there's values beyond advertising that Wizards gets from pro play and beyond what I'm saying, which is there needs to be incentive for people to play in tournaments because that is where one of the places Wizards make money. They make a lot of money on people entering tournaments and there needs to be a reason for people to do that. And there's a lot of people that buy a lot of magic cards because they want to play in tournaments, especially limited players. (laughs) But... Wizards also uses pro players for other things. A big one is is uh, a labor pool. The amount of people in magic design that they've hired directly from the pro tour is a significant percentage. I would say yeah, 75% Huge. of that of that team, right? And so when you look at it in that world and like everything else is the great design search <laughs> um, and Jules who like interned on on his way up the path and uh but like 
when you lose when you lose that attitude of a bunch of players min maxing like to the level that you need to be a professional magic player there isn't a lot of other gauntlets out there that wizards can use to test are you going to be able to design magic cards or be able to test our game right because the biggest thing with magic the reason pro players are so important to them is a pro player's job going up to a pro tour is to break the format it's like okay i'm going to test every one of these cards that are being released in this format and i'm going to see what they messed up right that's what that's what Eldrazi Winter was. It was Team East West Bull realized that Ayavugan plus all of these Eldrazi that cost three mana or less or five mana or less was dumb and should not have been like there was no out to not allow it into the format because it was modern, but maybe shouldn't have been the Pro Tour format coming after that format because it was it, it broke the format in half and they figured out that mistake. And then they hired Andrew because they knew, oh, this guy literally can go over every set we design and see like, oh, this is a toxic card combo that should not be printed you should not include this in the game and that is a thing that is lost from having the pro tour be something that people are motivated to play to win that being said as i said before i don't think wizards is going to lose the incentive of pro players to do well in the pro tour what they've gotten rid of is the like weird middle ground that was before the MPL that everyone hated anyways, right? The like, I'm a hall of famer. So I get to go to every pro tour and therefore I get to make X amount of money uh, by going, or I have to go to X amount of GPs every year to be able to earn this amount of money. And, or I'm a grinder. I'm a platinum level pro. They got rid of that. Because it, it, you weren't making a living anyways. You were just grinding and you were like making a few extra whatever dollars a year that wasn't enough unless you won an actual Grand Prix or Pro Tour to make a living off of. Then they made the MP. That was what the whole pay the pro things was, right? They were like, you're not paying these people enough to make this make sense. They then moved to the MPL format, which was, okay, here's the salary. You work for us now. You're in a special league. You play, but you're required to do stuff all year round. You're required to stream every week. This is a job. And then they canceled the MPL. And a lot of people, I guess this is something we haven't touched upon. A lot of people were like, oh, that sucks. They lost. Like, they, it sucks that all these people lost their job. Wizards is giving them an 18 month runway before their job is done. Well, also, I mean, the other thing I was going to say is that, you know, the the initial MPL crop is 32 players, right? Yes. 70 grand per right. person. Yeah. Which means. 200 you're sorry you're looking at two to three million dollars in support for non-events like this is just your salary mm -hmm. two to three million dollars you're paying in salary for people to just play magic and stream and and ultimately build their own following right build something that if they're streaming on their own channel on their like on their own twitch is not going to make you money unless they get massively famous if they're even in just the moderate tier all they're doing is getting subs for themselves. They're just they're just making themselves a living, which is great for them. But you're not actually getting that much of a return on your money if they get twenty thousand, let's say twenty thousand, thirty, fifty thousand, uh, you know, uh, followers on Twitch, right? Like, it's if they get like two million, good. You've made some. You've made something happen. But if they're in the very moderate to small tier, like Wizards wasn't making very much money on spending two to three million dollars. That's well, but that, an that's, enormous amount of money to spend. That that's my point though, is that those jobs were not they were taking advantage of them, right? Like and not by taking advantage like I'm like they weren't scamming them. They were using the 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 tool they were like paying for to create those eyeballs. But the purpose of those the purpose of those positions were to motivate other people to try and get those positions. 
that's the oh. point of pro play. Like that's what Wizards was, and and like hopefully that they knew that. Hopefully, it feels like they also realized, oh, we didn't create that. We created a gate kept community of pro players that most people feel like they can't get into. Uh, these pro players then are also creating events that are so insular that no one wants to watch them <laughs> because because part of magic that makes magic great is the ability for someone who is not the best player in the world has a chance to win that I can spike a tournament. Cause I came up with the best deck, right? I came up with the eye of Ugin combo or Zach Elsick who now works at wizards did this, right? His career is based on, he was maybe not the best player, but he figured out that lantern control worked with a Reddit community. And he was the one that was able to pilot it to a top 16 finish and then win a GP a week later and was like, Oh, this is a meta game flaw. And I figured it out. That's, the dream of magic and the MPL eliminated that. That just didn't exist anymore. <laughs> which, which is, which is a crazy thing. So we talked a ton about the MPL, the flaws of it, why pro magic in the way that it had been introduced the last two years is now going away. But we haven't talked very much about the idea that organized play going forward is going to cater towards something that has kind of sprung up in the last, I would say five to 10 years in a crazy, crazy, crazy level. Our friend Shivam wrote this incredible Twitter thread that talked all about the strengths of the casual community and why, over the last 10 years, the focus on that competitive community was sort of, I think, kind of short-sighted. He doesn't say that verbatim, but that's a bit of what he was trying to say, is like the focus on that competitive uh, grinder sort of spike community didn't give credit to the fact that the thing that was happening at these major events was actually just players enjoying playing casually, but really taking seriously the experience of being a casual player. That's what made magic communities grow. And actually one of the things that I thought was incredible in his thread, he makes reference to players that were kind of vehemently against playing commander for years, embracing it. And I read that and I was like, I mean, that's just me. I like, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was a bad format. I just said for years that it was a format that just didn't appeal to me. It just didn't have a thing that I bought into. And when it finally became something that I realized was one of the only ways I was going to get to play magic on a week to week basis, I really had a good time. It made way more sense. I had a really, really fun time. Right. And I'm like excited now to go to GPs next year to magic fests and have eight, 10 commander decks. And be able to play against people and and know that like I'll enjoy the game. I like know my decks and I built them very intentionally. I already know that I'm just gonna be stuck playing CDH games the whole time. Like I already am like know how the internet's gonna work. <laughs> They're like, oh you have CDH cast, let's do it. Uh but yeah, no, I think it was actually really funny because because yeah, Shivam Shivam's thread's really good. All these things that we're talking about, I think we'll link in the 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 in the description. No, I think we will link in the description below. Um and the thread that he wrote that just like talked about and we talked about this when I guess on his podcast a little bit as well. That's kind of where the main thing we talked about was kind of like the rise of casual content creation and how that has changed the landscape of magic um, moving forward. That like just the the ability for wizards to reach audiences that aren't just pro magic players or people that are, have the aspiration to be a pro magic player has greatly increased. And part of that is technology, Right. Literally, when we started this podcast, YouTube was just in the middle, like five years old, like two, 2000. We started in 2014. I guess YouTube was seven years, years old. old. Yeah. yeah, like VidCon yeah, had its fourth I, year. I mean, like 
Yeah, it wasn't, Jenna it wasn't Marbles big was in like the way that it is first now. starting. PewDiePie uh, just started streaming, I think, in that era. But like at that point, like the most followed people on on YouTube were pack openers, just opening packs on stream. Um, like the the loading ready run was doing their series. We had done top decking. Um, and then the command zone starts and they like start making like real TV shows out of magic playing. And, and, and like, there just started becoming this attitude of like, Oh, you can do other content. And I think that has caused wizards to realize, Oh, there's a library of ways that people can engage in our community. One of the great things about magic is that it isn't just pro magic, right? You can play standard. You can play limited. You can play modern. You can play vintage. You can play commander. You can play the stack. You can play cube. You can play D and D, but using magic cards as your spell deck. You can play like the amount of different varieties that you can play in magic is unlimited. And for a long time, they were just focused on the tournament. And some of that was just availability, right? In the world of the nineties and the mid two thousands and the budgets that existed and the technology that existed, it wasn't easy for them to focus on anything but pro magic. I don't know how else you do that, right? They're they like. Like at, at first, they had, at for one point they had an ESPN show, right? They were on the like uh, the jokingly the Ocho. There was a pro tour on ESPN <laughs> for a while, <laughs> long time ago. Long. But yes, it was a thing. Yeah, so like they did what they could there, and and that was a way of kind of going about it. But then just the world kind of grew around it. That became much more expansive, and and that was the beginning of Magic Fests. People are pointing at Command Fest as like, oh, Command Fest are going to be the future. And I saw a lot of retailers kind of be brewing it. That's an interesting point is like retailers don't like Command Fests. And I think the flaw of Command Fests was I think a Command Fest is a bad idea. I think a Magic Fest is a good idea. I think a Command Fest should be at every Magic Fest. Like I think that I think that like the GP being the center of a magic fest is a mistake. And they started doing right. The command zone ended up being at every single, every single magic fest. I just think that like literally you were not allowed to draft at the command fest. That was a mistake to me. You weren't, there was no tournament behind it. So I think there's a middle, middle point. I think the rebranding of a command fest was important because what did happen was they were able to get players that would not go to a GP to go. Cause there is such a stigma that like a grand prix is only a tournament. You don't need to go there unless you're going to a tournament. Everyone who's gone to a grand prix knows that a grand prix is a convention. <laughs> and honestly, people should be charged to go in. And then that charge, that fee can be applied to the command zone, the main event, or like a gift card that you can use to buy cards when you're in there. But like, there should be like, I honestly believe that to enter a grand prix, you should spend, you get a hundred dollar voucher. Basically it should cost you a hundred dollars to go to a grand prix. But alongside that you get the promo, you get the mat, you get access to the command zone or the main event or X amount of drafts, or you can use it. Like they give you channel fireball gives you $70 worth of credit on their store, right? Like you get store credit with it. And that way it's safer that way you like don't have the weird problem of like like there's less thief issues like there's a lot of safety issues around them to make them more conventions that would be nicer and they become more profitable you can do cooler stuff you can pay the artists that are there you can pay for tappy and olivia and ashlyn and sprinkle to fly to every one of these things you can pay us to do panels you can pay for the infrastructure to do panels you don't even have to pay us i don't need to get paid i just want a stage that has a microphone for me to talk at an audience i think i I think i think your idea here is cool except that i think a hundred is is really restricted because i think there's a lot of players that want to show up with their decks and they want to hang out casually 
Say what? The GP costs seventy dollars to enter. Like right now, you have to pay no, seventy dollars no, no. to play I, the GP. To- totally. But okay. I think a lot of people that go to an event don't walk in planning to play the main event, right? So I think they show up with their decks, their commander decks. They maybe play a draft and they hang out with people for a day and they go home. And I think like well, but the idea even of the a, command a, zone costs magic- sixty dollars to enter, right? Like right now, if you were to go to a Magic Fest, a command zone is sixty bucks, main event is seventy bucks, two limited events is sixty bucks. Sure, but my point is that the command zone is an awesome thing that they invented. But if you want to find a way prior to the command zone to play commander with your friends at a table, you will. Like people did. People just, you would find a table. It was like you'd get moved sometimes. But like if that's what you wanted, you'd do it, right? Do you, the not, point like, is, do you not remember Grand PLA where like the top 10 magic content creators in the world were all in the food court outside because judges kicked us all off of tables? It was like Jimmy, Josh, Prof, Shivam. I think Sheldon was there. <laughs> like it was like the like Sure, but my but my but my point is that even that, which I don't think is good for magic, we were still there hanging out, having a good time playing magic. So like I think a hundred dollars, even I think fifty dollars is restrictive to players who maybe are on a budget. But I think if you made it like the literal cost of the entry level event is the entry fee. So let's just say it was fifteen bucks, right? Let's say it was fifteen bucks to get in. With your $15, you got something, anything. I, the, the the cheapest piece of promo, I think I completely agree with you at that point. I think if a thousand people show up and it's $15 and you make 15 grand as the entry cost that the, the, that tournament organizer before anything else happens, and that $15 gets you entry to the cheapest event, right? That's the thing. You say to people, your $15 will get you an event. That's it. 15 bucks and you get like, the so, cheapest draft so, or whatever it is. So the average price for a Comic-Con ticket, not San Diego, not LA, Comic-Con around the country is uh, $90. That doesn't come with gameplay. That doesn't come with anything. That's just entry. And those are packed. not always packed because sometimes they're in the middle of nowhere, but they're relatively full. Right now, the largest demographic for a lot of these events is still the main event tournament players. You What you lose is people buying from stores. And that's why I do think it should go to store credit. I, I like... Yes, you might lose some players, but it's safer. Like, that's a big thing. And you'll get more people to go because you can guarantee that prof will be there. Or you can spend funds on making the conventions more event-oriented and more exciting for people to show up than not having that. I mean, like, that Command Zone even itself... Command Fest itself, I think, was 50 bucks to get into. So it's not like they're not already thinking of doing this. I just... and The store credit one's really interesting, right? Like, if you have 23 vendors in an event... If it's a one through 23 random when you enter, that's the that's the voucher you get, right? Is like you just get one at random because obviously if it was just everybody got oh, no, their I, choice, they would you just spend make, money at the biggest one. You know, you make you make Comic-Con tickets or not Comic-Con tickets. You make you make Magic Fest tickets, right? Like you like you get 100 Magic Fest bucks when you buy your entry. And that is one for one worth a dollar. And you go to each of the convention halls. And at the end of the convention, they take their bucks and give it Channel Fireball. And Channel Fireball gives them one for one for their Command Fest dollars. And that's just from, like, it's a gift card system, right? I think you have to make it loose to all of them. Because if it's random at one of 23, like, you might get stuck with the the, the booth that just has, like, Power 9 and... Garbage, and sure. Power okay, 9 yeah. and lands, right? <laughs> like, the, like, I've gone to these. And sometimes there's just that one booth who's the guy who has one table filled with cases. And it's all... $500 cards and above. And if and if you get that at random, you're just not going to be able to buy anything. So I think I think more you get you get the choice to get store credit. Like that's that's what I think is you just get like a gift card. I can use that gift card to pay for the main event. I can use it to pay for the command zone. I can use it to pay for 
for events or I can pay for for random product at, 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 at retailers. And then beyond that, I can spend more money, right? Like it's not like I'm capped at that gift card, but that's like a, it's how Vegas works, right? I'm going to Vegas for the first time in three weeks. It's going to be weird, but I'm going to Vegas and we bought a hotel room and they give us a hundred dollar voucher just that we can spend anywhere in the casino. You are going to Las Vegas and your buy-in is usable in chips, essentially. Correct. Like wherever you're staying. They're giving me the chips for the casino. I can use it to buy food. I can use it for brunch. I can use it to see a show. I can use it to get into a club. God forbid. I can use it to gamble. Probably going to use it to gamble. (laughs) Um, I can use it at the pool. So, So like, I think you just do that at Magic Fest. Not like in a gambling way, but in a like, just you pay for entry. It just is like, I'm guaranteeing that I'm going to spend... $70 at this event, 30 of the dollars are going to the actual event itself. That allows Channel Fireball to put $100 worth of stuff into the community. Most people were paying that anyways. Like the percentage of people you lose are the people that were going to Command Fests to sell their cards only, which I think does need a solution. That's the one flaw with this idea is that like selling cards, if you're selling your cards, there's a problem. Um, and there has to be a workaround. People that are smarter than me can figure it out. Maybe there's an area outside that people can sell. Maybe the stores are just not, maybe it's like stores are outside of the entry zone, right? I think that's the easiest way is you have the magic fest and then you have a shopping area right outside of the magic fest, kind of at New York toy fair where they have like the food court and all the cool stuff in the lobby. And then, then you enter the business world of the toy fair, just have that where all the shops are. That way people can sell their cards. That's the only limitation I can see with this idea. But other than those people, 99% of the people there are paying for a command zone, paying for the GP, or paying the three drafts worth of events that it needs to get to $100. And it could be $75, I feel like right? You could, you could probably have like a... I mean, how would you do this? So like Comic-Con has check-in, check-out with badges, right? Like that's what they do. Yeah. You have like your badge, you hit the thing. What if like there was some sort of badge type of situation that was like regulated once you're there after two hours, you're charged the full amount. If you get in and out under two hours, you get refunded or it's like an hour even. So if you want to sell your card, you can can get like you you can get you can get like a uh, like an hourly pass. You can do that. You can do that with bracelets. You can do that with bracelets really easy. You just have every two hours or every every whatever amount, say three hours. Let's say let it be three hours. Every three hours you the people rotate in which pa- which bracelets you get. You get a bracelet when you walk in. It's a different color. You have over a weekend of three days. Even you can rotate it every day doing different bracelets at random. That's easy. That's the solution. You just give people color bracelets. And then and then you get a bracelet. lets you go in. As soon as those three hours out, if someone sees you or judge sees you, like, hey, you have to leave. The badges are done. Sorry. Or you can pay to stay for the whole event. And, and you know, you have three-day event passes, which are $100. Or you maybe do one day events that are twenty, you know, thirty dollars. Then that's the other way, right? right. It's a three day event, hundred dollars for the full three days, or it's thirty dollars a day, or it's forty dollars a day. So you get a deal if you buy the whole trip. That's the way to do it. That's how Magic Fest should be done. And like that's like most people are paying that money at Magic Fest anyways. Just let them let and and it gives maybe it's a little bit more expensive than you would be spending. Maybe you were just doing the event, you're spending the hard seventy dollars, and that's it. Well, guess what? Like, there's a reason that the artists were striking, (laughs) right? Magic artists were striking and not going to magic events for a two-year period beforehand because Wizards and Channel Fireball was unwilling to pay them to be there as a service of being there. Like, there's a reason that was happening. It's fine, 30 extra dollars per person. 
if it's able to make it. So these events are safer. So there could be security so that we can get cool content creators there. Not us. Like uh, this isn't, I'm not arguing for me to get flown to GPs. I'm arguing for people like the professor or Jimmy and Josh to do cool events. I'm arguing for stuff like the escape rooms. And like, there's just so many cool things that can happen at this stuff that currently doesn't because it's not set up to do that. And I think wizards can do that. That's my pitch. That's what I think this all should be. And and then I think that event, that GP should still be a big deal. Top eight should still get access to a pro tour. Those pro tours should pay out $250,000, four of them a year, plus a world champion that has a, whatever, a million dollar bucket. I think they had $2 million worth of prizes a year is what they kind of said they were going to do. And then, and then comes with air freight. And then like, if you, and then bring back the gold. <laughs> well, like the, the PTQ is paying for air freight, I think is important. And, and then build back. No, no. You missed it. Airfare, not air freight. Oh, airfare. Sorry. No, we're shipping people in boxes, Ben. You win a GP, you get a box. <laughs> uh, all the air money's freight. going you to content shipped. creators. That's shipped. what Wizards announced. <laughs> all the money's coming to, to the casual content creator, and every pro player gets put in a box shipped on an airplane. Uh, that's that's the official <laughs> announcement. Uh, but and, and then bring back the gold status. Bring back what that looks like, and then have some... Maybe you get flown to GP's... If or like you get your air freight paid for, or they have some amount of funds put towards that. Like there's things you can do to make being a professional magic player worth grinding for beyond just the like, cause, cause the, the other end, cause we've been pretty hard on the MPL and, and pro players for this thing. The, the, the other side of that though is magic is a consistency game. The chances that you're going to spike a GP or a pro tour doesn't exist. It's like one in millions, right? What does, though, is consistently getting in the top 50 players at a GP, right? That's something that you can accomplish through hard work and effort by being a great player. And that grinder lifestyle needs a benefit. I think there needs to be something that benefits those players from consistently performing in that way. That isn't just spiking a tournament and winning the prize money. I don't know what that is. And it might be promos. It might be just like everyone gets a foil Elish Norm with the Phyrexian text. I think also there's this level of like when you really break down the benefits one level or another to finishing, not even necessarily in the top 20 or 50, but like you mentioned earlier, like the one time I got a pro point. Right. And it was like basically it was like I got the sealed event for whatever the entry fee was at the time, probably like seventy five dollars. I got two drafts right the next day. I got I don't remember how much money, 250 bucks, probably something like that for the finish, which was like in the hundred and tenth or right around that range. And I opened, you know, I opened a bunch of cards, right? Like I opened six packs plus two drafts. So, you know, 12 packs um, that if you were able to do even just that on a consistent level and you think long term with magic's value, like I opened enough cards in those packs that were worth money for sure. I know I did. I mean, 12 packs of, of, a, of like a somewhat premier set plus the promo that I got at that event. If you even increase that by 25 percent, if you find one way for me as I'm finishing with product, not even money, but like you give me something that is a cool thing, like you mentioned of the Phyrexian text, like something that matters, right? Look at everything. This is like how I started the show tonight, but the big transition these last few years in Magic, the biggest difference is they recognize that players like to have really cool limited run cards. That's just something they realized we liked. They were like, secret lairs, promos, old borders. We want to just create these cool things. And in the same way that mythic rares are very, very hard to come by in a certain set, if you make one printing with one border of a very cool card, 
the the rarity of a mythic rare or rarer in a certain set and it's only available in that set then from here on out we're all going to want that printing of that card it's just how it works and if it's a good card not like some piece of trash that i just think is cool like life death it's going to live on and be worth money and you can find ways to reward players in those top finishing situations by just printing that thing like I you mean, don't have to print I the mean, same let's... one you could print 10 different ones and you get a random one if you, like if, yeah yeah that's fair right like it doesn't cost wizards anything you just print that all you're doing is affecting long-term market value of a very hard to find card it makes actually their cost to give you something they're just creating cash they're going like this really cool version of this card is a reward i think the problem there is it's hard it's hard Right. Like like they did that. Right. That's what the PPTQ promos were. Right. When the system was you won a regional PTQ, the regional PTQ promo. Sorry, the PPTQ, you won. You got a regional PTQ. Then you just got a promo. It was Liliana and Snapcaster Major. They did another one. I forget what the third one is. Um, Or maybe they only did two. Did that system only last two years? But whatever. I just remember those two. Yeah, Uh, I that worked and that could be the way that system works right is you get some put that that's still only like a hundred dollar like a hundred dollars for like doing a thing that doesn't even pay for air air fare uh <laughs> um but this is the last piece i think but and because we are we are now over an hour i think this is where channel fireball scg and sponsors come in i think this is where like wizards needs to allow them to like lose control over these tournaments and give their pro tour invites to other organizations running that. And, and maybe channel fireball still exists within a wizard system that they're running that are part of magic fest that wizards is running. But if those companies are allowed to kind of manage their pro play, cause SCG has been able to do it right. That's, that's a company that has been able to been successful independently to create this system. And you'll just have a better, run you'll have a better look at what this could be i think like like if you allow sponsorship you allow companies to pay for these pro players to do well it's been a little weird the viewership isn't there that's the big problem and so like the incentives needs to be like how scg does it is they sell cards they buy cards and sell cards the reason the scg events work is because they sell a ton of cards online and they buy a ton of cards when they go to all these events and that's why they run them and that model works and as you were saying, that's the marketing, right? The marketing is I can win these tournaments and do well, or I can be like these magic pro players that are doing well at these SGG events. And by that, they're able to run tournaments that only sell star city games cards and they can buy cards. They need to be able to sell on their website. And it's the reason they're one of the most successful websites and channel fireball is the same with the grand prix system. So there needs to be a conversation on like how, what do you create to pro players to make it worth grinding them? Maybe you don't. Maybe it's just prize pitting for winning and you get rid of that grinder lifestyle and you just like end up with less. Less people like the Paulo Vito, Domino Rosas and the Chapins in that world. And those are content creators now. And maybe that's just actually what the future is. The problem, I think, is then what Z said, which is like there is a reason to have that amazing magic player, though. That is there is a benefit for that existing. The other end is maybe those are just on arena, right? The people that grind those events. Like there, there's there's so many different avenues for a player to be good at magic that they can accomplish. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know where what the answer is to that. And I think that's the thing that people are worried about. On the other hand, you can like for 99, that's like a one percent of the people playing magic. Like 99% of the people, the me's of the world, 
I'm going to GPs just to have fun and to see how my brew did. And like, maybe I do well and I cash and I do great and maybe I don't. And I mean, I, th- I think my last comparison that I would give to Schmodown, which I've mentioned three times tonight. And if you guys don't know, though, I think you probably do because I've mentioned it on here before is the largest movie trivia league in the world. It's a, it's a show on YouTube and a traveling show live when the world returns to normal. You know, when they arrange to bring people into the league, some of them are just randoms. They're fans of the show. But some of them are like this year we brought in Griffin Newman and Eric Whiteley from Blind Wave or, or, or Griffin Newman is an actor who's in all kinds of stuff and has a huge show called Blank Check Podcast. He was on the front page of IMDb the other day, right? Like he's he is somebody who people listen to because they love his takes on movies. He's quite famous now for that reason. Or beyond that, Kevin Smith and Chris Jericho are now in the league. But but Griffin Newman's a better example because he's less of a pure celebrity, right? Kevin Smith's obviously a celebrity. Chris Jericho, obviously a celebrity. Griffin Newman is an actor who's a podcaster and he's he's well known, but he's not he's not famous in the way those guys are. But his audience is loyal. They love him, right? And he's he's also incredibly good at talking about movies on his podcast. That's why people listen to Griffin Newman's podcast, because he talks about movies better than almost anyone in the world. He's a pro at it. He's incredible at it. So when the Schmodown says, let's bring in this guy who's both entertaining and amazing at talking about movies to do movie trivia, his fans go, of course, I want to watch him compete. This is he's suited to do this, right? I would, right. of course, I'll watch this. Yeah. And you watch Griffin's matches get more views than other matches for exactly that reason. Because it's not like they said, we're going to hire Griffin Newman to uh, do an eating contest. You know, hey, taste, taste test these pancakes, right? No, of course not. He's not a food guy. He's a movie guy. If you're going to get him to do a movie thing, it will succeed. If you just get him because of his celebrity to do something else, it probably won't. The whole idea there is if you get magic content creators that are good at it to come in and do these things, their fans will want to see them do magic things. There's a lot of people that are kind of famous now that do magic things, which is what our point earlier in the show was, and I think is kind of the point going forward. That's what the scene is now. Mm-hmm. Well, we want to see those people play against each other, us play against those people more so than the aspiring pro from Iowa playing in their basement with no following online who just is good at magic. Being just good at magic isn't the future of pro magic, unfortunately. There has to be something more than just being good at it. I don't I don't know how much I agree with that. I do think that we're going to see more funding go towards these these groups of people, but there's always going to be like there's a reason our podcast existed alongside the command zone, right? There's a strategy content creator world that is dependent on you also being the best magic player, right? Like there's a reason that I'm going to watch an LSV draft video and it's not because he's necessarily the most charismatic drafter. It's because he's better than everyone else on the planet and is charismatic enough for me to listen to him talk for two hours. There's a reason that I'll read every Ari Lax article or like literally anything that Sam Black puts on the internet because they're just so much better than every magic player or most magic players on the planet that just reading three paragraphs of content they're making makes me better at magic. And that's going to be true forever. There is always going to be a hunger from the magic meter, which is a competitive game, which wizards has said, you are still going to be able to make hundreds of thousands of dollars winning tournaments, playing this game. So there's still going to be a motivation to be the best you possibly can be. And those people, even if they are not an entertaining personality are going to be able to garnish a following or be able to be successful in this world. But to your point, 
the future of making a living making magic uh, uh, the, the future of making a living around magic is creating content that's i think the difference is you don't need to have a following to make a living playing magic you need to create content and create a following based on your skill level around magic if you want magic to be your professional life and that's what the reason- mpl was Right, they they already did that. That happened two years ago when they said the NPL is the way you make seven thousand dollars a year, and we are going to force every one of these players to stream seven days a week. There's a reason that in the NFL, running backs that wear helmets don't actually get long-term brand recognition, and wide receivers that wear helmets kind of do, but quarterbacks who throw the ball and whose face you see all the time before and after the game, and then do commercials get brand recognition and become legitimately famous people. So like those are the people that get photo ops. They get to be on the covers of magazines. They get to talk. You get to hear their voice and understand them. It's why the NBA is much more player driven and why the NFL is much more team driven because in the NBA, they don't wear helmets and the stars, you just see them react. You see their faces and their emotions on the field. They aren't covered. And so at the end of the day, People in the world connect to NBA players and their stories and their goofy personalities far more. And it's sort of the whole idea is that you have to find a way to communicate why you are who you are beyond just being good at it. If you can do that, being good at it is icing on the cake, right? You, You can't be great at magic as a pro player or a pro level player if you're not great. You have to be good. You have to be able to win. If you can win and you have something that you channel, you can find a yeah. way to just show yourself. I think you will that's, be more successful. I think that's a real lesson, right? There is now a library of ways to be a successful magic person. And that includes everything from TikTok to being a professional magic player. And the key, though, for all of that right now is that unless you're winning tournaments, like active, like unless you've won a GP or a pro tour, you're most likely going to be able to capitalize on your success with writing contracts, content creator contracts, podcast contracts, etc. Like if I like before when I was getting pro points, like honestly, that might pro points existing still just as a record of how good you are in the community is probably still important. And me having just like the ability to go to SCG and be like, hey, I'm the 46th best player in the world right now. Let me write you articles at X amount of dollars per word. Right. Like that's yeah. that's that's what's needed. It's or or hey, TCG player, I'm the 56th best player in the world right now. I'm going to do a podcast. Can you help fund? You know, like like I, I I can I can produce it. I have this this ability. I can talk to it. I need your help to be the launch platform for it. Will you will you cover you know salary etc. Like that's going to be a little bit of the way, and that's hard. That's a hard grind. I mean, the, on the other hand of this, I will say this: content creation sucks <laughs> as to make a living off of. It's not. It is not. Very few people make full livings off of this. And that's the other kind of the dark side of what Wizards is promoting is like they're promoting this side of the world, not even this side of the world, but the content creation side of the world is also not going to go like they're not going to spend the dollars they're currently spending on the MPL to promote this podcast or even bigger magic podcasts. Uh, they're going to spend it on getting streamers that are in adjacent brands that they think they can get their follower to like magic to start doing magic content, right? That's that's actually what's going to happen. They already start doing that, right? Because, that's, because because they know that we will continue to make this content with or without correct. their support because we were already, which is why, right? They're gonna they're gonna throw money at the people that say I won't listen unless you show me money, which. But, 
Which Welcome in, to the way of the world, right? Which, which, on the other hand, is the benefit of live events becoming a bigger focus for content creators already making magic content. Because that is a place you're not going to get, like, like, if Post Malone went to a magic fest, it'll be on the news tomorrow after the fest is done. But you're not going to get people into the magic fest. Maybe if you advertise Post Malone going, you'll get people. But, like, random streamers, you'll get some people to show up. But people will go to those events and keep going to the events if the magic content creators they love are known quantities to be there. So I think that's more where the win is. But yeah, it'll, it's an interesting world going forward to see what people do and and to just find out what what happens next. Well, one one thing is for sure. I know you and I both feel the same way. I cannot wait for the next live magic event that we can actually go to and meet people and see people and play games and it doesn't sound like we're going to get lucky and it's going to be end of this year. It's probably going to be beginning of next is the, it's sort of the gist I get. But maybe just maybe end of 2021, we get lucky and there actually is an event. If not, I will be there with open arms January 2022. Right. And 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 there is a point, though, that pro play. Like one of the reasons this is so vague and there's so many questions is because of the current situation in the world. Right. Like if you would asked me three weeks ago, oh, the world is, I'm going to go to Vegas <laughs> in June. I'd, I'd laugh at you. I'd be like, absolutely not. I won't. But like the vaccine rollout is happening the way it does. Like we're ta- we're already talking about work shows like Dallas Toy Fair is happening. That looks like it's actually just happening. Gen Con is a actual convention that we will have a booth in as Kess because we already paid for it. And it just made sense to keep the roll it over. Who knows how many people show up there? It could be a major event. No one could show up. With, with every day it feels like the world is evolving differently and getting back to normal differently. So wizards doesn't have the ability right now to say magic fest will happen this year. I don't think magic fest will happen in 2021, but I think 2022, I think they like might announce in August that like January to spring 2022 will be the first magic fest. Maybe, maybe they do a, you know what? Let's go off with a bang. First magic fest is Vegas. In August 2022. Like I think that that to me seems like a possibility. Or they realize the smart thing, which is they start earlier because like doing the first time you're doing an event, doing your giant event is like a recipe for disaster. And I don't think Wizards wants a fire right. festival on their hands, but <laughs> um I think next year we'll see magic events come back. I think like by August I will at be the latest. At all, I, oh. I will be at every single one that's even remotely close to us <laughs> that is true <laughs> probably at all of them i like the chances i don't just go to whatever the first one is it's gonna have to be in a place i absolutely have no interest in going to it ha- like they'd have to be like I don't even north know. dakota fargo we're gonna have we're yeah, gonna have like Grand Prix Far- fargo. fargo in february is like maybe but i've heard <laughs> i've heard like it's intense but it's gorgeous right like i've heard really good things about fargo in the dead of winter because it's like you just have never experienced anything like Fargo in the winter is what I've been told. Just like blanket white. As far as the eye can see, like the world looks different. It looks like an alien planet. Uh, but yeah, I'm super hyped uh, for magic paper magic to come back. We played this weekend. It was amazing. Um, I think so that fun. I, the, 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 the final kind of cap on it. I pro plays not going anywhere. Professional tournaments are going anywhere. The like top echelon of like what platinum status was is is what's gone what the mpl replaced that with is gone um one person on twitter and i forget what their name was was kind of tweeting at us when i asked about this like they're worried that even like the the airfare 
that you get from winning a PTQ is going to go away. That I don't think goes away. Or at least I don't think it goes away as much as it was. Because I know it wasn't like a totally guaranteed thing. You are already able to like... Like, I think you will be able, when you qualify for events, to get your way to those events. I don't think they're going to create a pro tour that you won't be able to go to if you win the way to get in there. And that's the one thing that I can see being more incentivized. I think international pro tours, as soon as they can come back, are still a huge selling point. I think, like, that's, for most people, the real win is getting to go to, like, Tokyo, pro tour Tokyo, (laughs) Right. Like you get to right. like wizards. You, you want a ticket there. You get to go there. I still think airfare is going to be a part of this experience. So, yeah, I think it's real qualipur, like all the incredible events. Yeah. All the incredible locations. That's, that's not going anywhere. I think that that still exists. Wizards would be dumb to get rid of that. What wizards is getting rid of, though, is the like. The the statement that we are going to make it so you can be a professional magic player with a salary from us. And that affects literally 32 people. And it affects all the people that wanted to get that job. But I don't think that there won't be incentives for those people. They just won't be a promise of being able to make a living that way, which is kind of what it was before. It's not like the, the, the existence before the NPL was much better than that. You had to become a hall of famer to like really oh start God. making, which is like not a, the accomplishments were, were crazy. You had, you had to do crazy, crazy things by the time you're making, it, yeah. by the time you're a hall of famer, you've already figured out ways to make a living off of magic that becoming an MPL member wasn't, wouldn't have been worth it. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's my thoughts. I would love to hear what you guys think below. Please hit that like comment. Uh, wh- where, where do you, where, what magic fest would you not go to? Money is no object. You just, there's a city that a magic fest is happening and you don't want to go. <laughs> what city is that? Jeez, where would it be? I mean, it would have to be like, just like a really not interesting or like uncomfortable place for me to go to. But I mean, honestly, all the ones that I, mean, I can think no of the war torn feel... countries, like a United States has to be within the United States. Like you can't be like, Oh, no, I, I want to go to I, like, or, I'd go to all okay, I'd go to anywhere in Texas. I probably would go anywhere in Florida. The the whole like Gainesville in July thing is a little suspect. I, like like if we're going to a small Florida spot, maybe not, I guess. Maybe. Uh the like winter in like North Dakota kind of a deal. I guess that would test me. You know, if you tell me it's Gainesville in July, I wear linen pants. I don't give a darn. Like I, I, I don't care. I truly don't care. Like I will show up with my cards or my proxy cards. And yeah, I think I think the, I just want to be around people. I think I have to be hospitalized or like something in my <laughs> yeah, life. Right? Momentum momentous is happening that I like can't miss like a niece or nephew being born or which like none of my siblings are in committed relationships, not to mention at the point where they could be, that could be happening. Yeah. Like something would have to be happening in my life that would make it. So I would miss the very first magic fest. Yeah. I mean, I, it's just, it's, it's the same way I feel about almost or, anything. I guess it would happen next right? week. If they were to announce that it was happening during COVID esque environments, I think I would be like, I, I'll miss it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair point, right? Like, I feel like, I feel like I need to be, we're in May right now. I feel like August is the beginning of when I'm going to start to feel like this is okay. Yeah. Even though I realize the CDC guidelines are what they are, I still feel like I want to give it a couple months after now before I start to feel like we're okay. So it feels to me like August would be the event. It'd be like, okay, surprise event, August, Reno. Do you go? Yeah. Yes. Easy. There's a 0% chance, right? Like, I go. I like, we find a way. There's no question. I would drive, I would fly. Yeah, no. Like Reno's an easy city, but that's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. 
want to know in the comments where you would not go to in the US uh, <laughs> or um, what you would just hope pro play looks like. What do you think the incentives could be? Also, do you think you would you pay a hundred dollars with all of the incentives I said? Would you pay a hundred dollars to go to a Magic Fest? And the stores aren't inside. Like the stores are in a little mall. And then before, after, if you want to play Magic in that space, you have to pass the line. Would you go? Would you pay the hundred dollars? Um, that's what I actually really want to hear. Uh, so. Thanks. Please like if all remember two preview cards next week. We have tonight a uh, live stream talking about all of the Modern Horizons stuff that I know you are all excited by. We're excited by it. In fact, that's another thing to comment. I want to know what Modern Horizons cards and what you want to do with them so that when we talk about them tonight live, we can talk about them. Um, also, make sure check out our Monday night commander streams. We normally do that live show is happening instead of the commander stream tonight, uh, but make sure to check that out. Uh, we'll have that available as well. And uh, make sure to go like and subscribe to uh, Cast Games. That's that's where the new MMCast late night show um, commander streams are, are now going to live on YouTube. So if you've been watching it here, it's now going to live there. and uh, Or watch it on, on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Wiley. You can get all the new fancy emotes. All, they're all good. They're all great. They're, so, all, they're so hyped. all phenomenal. There's one of Cast. There's one of the two of us. There's one of me. I'm not looking angry. I just look focused. Um, you have like be, you have like the great. Terminator laser coming out of your. <laughs> yeah, I look like Cable, man. He's really focused. He's like super serious. That's yeah. like what I'd say. Like what I look. I look like Cable. You know. Okay. Okay. I'll yeah. Sure. Yeah. Do you want me to call it yeah. Ben? I was gonna call it Angry, like because we get like little. We have to name all of them. That's the thing we have to figure out. Uh, but we can do that later. Um, all right. Thanks everyone. We'll talk to you all uh, next tonight and next week and all the time. Super hyped. Bye. Bye guys. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.